Hello and welcome to the Analysis Mason podcast. My name is Tom Rebeck and I'm here with our IoT and private networks analyst, Ibrahim Kassaji. For this edition of the podcast, we're going to be talking to Romil Baal, president and CEO of IoT company Core. We last spoke to Rommel about two years ago, and we thought it'd be good to catch up. So, Rommel, thanks for joining the podcast again. Thanks for having me. We last spoke um, just before your public listing in August 2021. So before we get on to talking about Core, I'd just be interested in your impressions of how the market for IoT and IoT connectivity, how's that? How's it developed since then? Well, you know, it's been an uh, amazingly uh, sort of uh, bullish couple of years for IoT. I mean, by no stretch of the imagination am I saying the promise has now been met, but the market for IoT and specifically for IoT connectivity is higher in demand than it ever has been. A number of the customers that spent some amount of time over the last decade or so with pilots, POCs, deploying in one country, maybe the country where they're headquartered, are now getting ready to deploy globally. Mm. Uh, obviously, 5G, they're, they're sort of the race you know, to be the best and strongest with 5G standalone is helping fuel some of that the greater proliferation of low power wide area networks in general the nbiot's the ltms the, and the unlicensed cellular like LoRa, um, are, are providing more and more options uh, for customers and so while on the one hand it increases the complexity when they can work with someone like us that simplifies all that manages all that for them the demand is uh, has never been stronger and and look i mean all of these edge and edge compute trends the um, uh, sort of AI trends and where AI meets AIoT, all of that fundamentally doesn't work without the connectivity to bring the data back or to apply the artificial intelligence to. So, well, we're certainly very uh, comfortable with uh, with with how things have developed over the last two years, and and still believe it's the decade of IoT ahead. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good point you make about demand because. I think we'll, we'll talk about the share price and investor sentiment maybe a bit later on in the podcast. Um, it's perhaps not what it was in 2021, but we see, I think, from your numbers and also from the other companies that report uh, report connectivity numbers and so on, that demand does keep on keep on growing. Um, you, also, let's turn now to, to Core. Now, you've been clearly very busy um, since that listing um, in late 2021. Um, with a number of acquisitions, the latest being the, the Twilio deal that I think was closed a couple of weeks ago, or maybe not even that long ago. Um, so, so what are the key changes that Core's made in, since that listing? Yeah, so look, so certainly this is our um, second acquisition since the listing. The first was BMP, Business Mobility Partners, and uh, their small connectivity, you know, Simon IoT, sister company. Really, we think of that as, as, as sort of one um, small tuck-in type deal um, about this time last year, um, or actually, yeah, maybe it was February last year. It was around the same time that we announced the signing of Twilio IoT. We just closed it, as you say, last week mm. uh, is Twilio. So this is our second tuck-in into the IoT space, but it's exciting. I mean, you know, it's sort of funny when we were coming public, uh, some of the, the bankers and, and investors that were coming into our pipe had sort of um, – Given, you know, labeled us as the Twilio of IoT. <laughs> and so it's sort of uh, funny and coincidental that we're buying Twilio's IoT unit now uh, a couple of years after that, uh, that that happened. But we're excited about the talent. We're excited about the, the digital front-end experience that, that, that Twilio brings us. This was our next step. We've spent a ton of time and money building out our IoT connectivity platform and services our eSIM IP and, and, and orchestration services, 
And our next big step was to build the digital console and front end anyway. Uh, and now we get a team of people that were born digital, born uh, knowing how to do that in the context of, of Twilio. And they've got some interesting early investments into the, the build part, you know, helping a, a customer online digitally configure, build a device and then go deploy it. And so we think we add build to our deploy managed scale sort of global value proposition. Uh, and it's very exciting where we're poised. And just one more question on the Twilio deal, then I'll hand over to Ibrahim. But I think Twilio, they become your largest shareholder. They become a big, big shareholder. Is that is that correct? Yeah, they're not our largest, but they are certainly a, a large shareholder and will have in the neighborhood of 12 or 4, uh, have actually not will have, they have 12 or 14 percent right. of our shares now, which uh, which was an interesting part of this deal for sure. Okay. And so you'll continue to collaborate with Twilio on, on projects going forward? We certainly hope so. And I, I know they've communicated to their sales team in no uncertain terms that IoT remains important to them, uh, that it's just not you know core to what they need yeah. to go focus on. Because um, talking to share price, I mean, they've had their pressures as, as we've yeah. had ours. Everybody's got to go do what they're really, really good at. But for IoT, um, their sales force will, you know, will continue to um, uh, send the, the customers in our direction. And so we look forward to that collaboration. Um, so, Rommel, um, one is something else that's changed very recently. So I saw in the Twilio announcement, uh, so, so Core has been marketing itself as an IoT hyperscaler. Uh, which I think is a somewhat new new term I haven't come across. Uh, so can you explain to listeners, so, so what exactly is an IoT hyperscaler? How did Core become one? And, and who are the other IoT hyperscalers out there, if any? Yeah, so we don't believe there are any, Abraham, and, 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 and we, we, you know, we believe we're sort of pioneering um, the path there. I'm not saying there won't be others, uh, because, you know, the sincerest form of flattery and all that, right? But but with with the IoT hyperscaler terminology, um, we are really just formalizing what we've been doing anyway. We've spent the last five years transforming ourselves within connectivity and with our new platform, with eSIM, et cetera. But more broadly than that, with our managed services, some of our analytics tools, to making it really, really easy to adopt IoT. As we say, to simplify the complexities that have held IoT back, right? And so we think of IoT hyperscaler as the journey to doing the same thing uh, to IoT as AWS pioneered for storage and compute. Make it really easy to use, centralize as much as possible, world-class security and other features and functions that every company in the world doesn't have to build now because they, they can just buy it and they can buy it on the click of a button. And trying to get IoT to that place, by the way, in partnership with those same cloud hyperscalers, right? being at the front end of that, removing the friction from getting tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of devices using storage and compute on them is sort of how we view the journey to being an IoT hyperscale. Yeah, and, and I guess the Twilio acquisition kind of fits in well there because you go back to the kind of their simplicity of their offer and, and the build capabilities. Presumably that's that was part of the attraction of, of reaching a different type of customer uh, you know, who can easily start with IoT from the bottom up. That's exactly right, and it ties back exactly to the the, the answer I gave, you know, Tom on on his question about why Twilio is. You're getting a team again that was that was born digital. That you know the best digital consumption engine in IoT is Twilio IoT. When when people asked me up until six months ago, 
who was I worried about competitively? It isn't some of these traditional connectivity providers. We've 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 leapfrogged them in terms of connectivity capabilities and so forth, and we've added managed services and analytics. And so there's nobody challenging our one-stop shop type uh, positioning. Um, but you know, you want to stay paranoid. You want to be looking at what's out there that scares you. And certainly, Twilio IoT was one of those that I had my eye on. And so to combine these these efforts, these initiatives, these these world-class teams is a, is a truly seminal moment that I think people won't know for the next three to five years, but it's going to change change core for good. Uh, so, so if you look a bit further ahead, uh, so you know, since you've listed publicly, there's been a lot of changes in the, in the macroeconomic environment, uh, in the high inflation, lower growth, interest rates have risen. Um, so from your point of view, what sort of effect has that had on core? Has it, has it had any impact in terms of what you see as the outlook for revenue growth and profitability compared to to what the plan was when you published this, the uh, you know other specific challenges to the IoT market from from these external factors. Yeah, so look. So first of all, I'll just say that on on a revenue basis, right, we have exceeded um, the plan we put out there uh, coming public in 2021, right? Um, and 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 sure, that's been helped with the BMP Simon acquisition, that kind of thing, but. You know, equally, we, we, we um, are, are most certainly one of the babies that has been thrown out, thrown out with the SPAC bathwater <laughs> in that, uh, you know, we're not one of these rocket ship stories, give me a few hundred million dollars and maybe five years from now I'll have the next best EV or whatever the promise was. We're actually a, a real company with real um, uh, revenue, et cetera, and we've exceeded the plans we put out there. Um, in terms of the macro environment and interest rate environment, it has had an effect on us in an indirect way because my capital structure doesn't look that great, right? My cap table doesn't look that great because of the debt we have. It has not impacted us on the demand side, right? Our customers might be looking at different initiatives. They may be saying, hey, instead of going after a revenue generating initiative, let's go maybe for efficiencies, Let's drive profitability. Let's drive automation, productivity. But the need for connected products, connected devices, and if you will, generically IoT to solve those problems, to make their business processes better, um, has has not changed. It, it Again, it may be just the underlying demand signal uh, on whether it's a revenue-generating thing or a cost thing, but we, we haven't seen really any slowdowns. Yeah, yeah, it's good to see it's encouraging to see the demand side hasn't been affected so much. Uh, so, so on the demand side, one more thing. So the last couple of reports from Core, like 2G, 3G shutdowns has been mentioned. Uh, I think not just for Core, but generally operators across the US, that's been a major challenge. Um, can you talk about kind of what the effect of the shutdowns have been and how have you helped your customers navigate that process? Yeah, so first of all, look, I mean, we're, we're thrilled and delighted to, to, to help customers, right? We experienced the AT&T 2G sunset, uh, sunset early, uh, earlier than really anywhere in the world. We learned from that experience. We've applied it uh, in the context of our customers from, you know, to, to build real uh, migration plans into LTE. Uh, and, and with our broader services, we've been able to help many of our customers with actually the deployment even, right, of, of the 4G replacements, if you will, of the 2G, 3G devices that were out there. Um, so that's been fantastic, and, and, and we look forward to applying that knowledge to the 2G, 3G migrations as they now come in Europe the next few years. Um, and, and we're certainly the right 
parties to, you know, for customers to count on to help given the deep expertise we have now in that area. Now, that said, of course, it impacted our business, which is why I, I talk about it on these earnings calls you mentioned, Ibrahim. Look, I mean, you know, you, 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 we started uh, last year with about a million and a quarter, a million two, 2G, 3G devices in the U.S. alone, right? And obviously, while a few of those trickled into January this year, they're basically gone, right? So that's a whole bunch of forced churn. Almost inevitably, and we've been dealing with this now for three or four years, that forced churn comes with ARPU declines because the old ARPUs in 2G, 3G land were so much greater than they are in 4G that you have to grow volume sometimes two, three times to, to get back to the same revenue with the same customer. So, so that's been affecting our numbers and making us look like a low growth you know, story for the last four or five years. Again, the great news is, North America, we're 80% of our SIMs are anyway. The problem's not behind us. We've got one last set of holes to fill this year, and starting next year, we're going to be the exciting growth company that uh, you know m- most people that look at us know, know we are. Can we can we just turn to the share price? We've sort of touched on this, and uh, I guess it's related also to the the 2G, 3G shutdowns as, as well, maybe a bit. But but the share price, it looks lower. It was lower than the, at the time of the, of the listing. I'm sure it's lower than you'd like it to be. Um, how do you explain that low share price? Yeah, look, so it's it's um, it's a combination of things, of course. There's a little bit of that SPAC overhang that has to wear mm-hmm. off, and people have to realize that we're not a SPAC. And most portfolio managers have told their investors, you know, their individual uh, analysts that make the buy decisions that, hey, you know, wait six quarters, eight quarters, ten quarters before you buy any SPAC, and let's make sure it's a real public company and those sorts of things. So some of that will just wear off with time and with consistent performance and sort of saying what we do and doing what we say, which we, we've, we're certainly off to a, a good start on that. Um, so now you look at us, right? So Twilio was $440 a share or something like that when, when we mm. were coming public, and obviously, you know, we, we came public at, at, a, at a SPAC value of 10 uh, we're sitting where we are, you know, at 15, 16% of that. And they're sitting at where they are. I haven't looked recently, but somewhere in the $60 range down from 440 Their sort of challenges was profitability, right? And we have some of those challenges, but that's why they're shedding, you know, some of the businesses that they think mm-hmm. are not necessarily absolutely critical and core to them. And I think they have a really bright future. And, you know, our issue is not as much profitability. It's the, it's the debt, right? So... Yeah. Because of the SPAC go-to-market, by the way, we were going to use every SPAC dollar that we were going to get uh, to cut down our debt, to to get it down to 4x or less of of Mm. EBITDA, uh, because we knew to be a public company, you had to have low numbers. Well, unfortunately, the SPAC redemptions were so high, we didn't get enough cash. So we've ended up coming public with more debt than one would like especially in a risk-off environment that we now find ourselves in yeah, in the yeah. markets. And people are going, okay, I'm going to wait for them to fix their debt issue and or at least amend and extend their debt out another few years so we know they can grow into it before I make the buy decision. And I think we're weeks, maybe months, from addressing some of these questions and sort of unlocking, unleashing shareholder value creation. Yeah, so, so I guess hopefully some of these issues, the issues of the 2G shutdowns will be behind you. Um, investors have a bit more clarity on yeah. debt because I think you talked about that in the last or maybe last but one uh, investor call about the cost of debt. Yeah. Um, obviously, interest rates are much higher than they were um, when you were 
when you originally got these got these loans, and so they're going to be much more much more expensive. Um, the SPAC overhang should helpfully go away, um, and that should give you a bit of a clearer pathway way forward. Right. Right. Um, finally, just to, to end on uh, a question about what's coming next, um, more acquisitions planned, um, acquisition into new products or geographies, what can we expect? Yeah, so look, so, so we, we remain obviously acquisitive. I think we've proven through the acquisitions we've done, certainly under the watch of this leadership team that has largely come in with, with me over the last five plus years, that we are, you know, the choice, you know, the best sort of aggregator in, in the IoT ecosystem be it, you know, with a spider and, and getting our own cellular core network early on, be it with Integron when we not only matured overnight our IoT managed services capabilities because they had been building theirs for 30 years, but we also made a big bet into connected health or healthcare and life sciences, uh, which, by the way, now is 40% of our revenue. It was about 5% mm. of our revenue when, when I arrived. So, and, and, and both Integron and the BMP Simon acquisition, BMP Simon was actually even higher Almost 90% of their revenue came from life sciences and healthcare, and so, so you know, so we've we've proven, and now with Twilio IoT, a, a real shot in the arm from a connectivity perspective. So look, so we remain acquisitive, uh, especially when they are furthering our capabilities to be that pure play IoT hyperscaler, to be the one-stop shop. Um, I suspect, though, that. You know, we're going to turn our attention to solving our, I say solving, but, you know, reducing our debt, extending the uh, the debt timeline, uh, getting some of these big things done to get shareholder value, as I said, cracking before, and then really get, our, you know, get our stock back to 10, hopefully quicker than it took to get down to where we are today, and then use it as a currency to do said acquisition, right? So, yeah. which, and by the way, that's sensible anyway. I mean, it takes... X months to get an integration done properly, to get all the people comfortable, situated correctly. So we're perfectly happy to, on the one hand, do a world-class job of integrating Twilio IoT, continue to build our M&A pipeline, and then unleash uh, unleash the stock, you know, as part of the acquisition strategy going forward. Okay, great. That's that's very clear, Rommel. It's been very good to talk to you. Very good to catch up. Thank you very much for your time and, and for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you, guys, Tom and Abraham. A pleasure to be on. Great, thanks. Um, I will put links um, both to your most recent uh, uh, investor uh, presentation, also to the previous podcast that we did with you. If you'd like to automatically receive future episodes, please subscribe to the Analysis Mason podcast. We also welcome your comments, feedback, and reviews. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.